Welcome to episode two of 10-Minute History. You might notice that we switched the name from 7-Minute History to 10-Minute History because I was foolishly optimistic. So we're going to give 10 a try. In this episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the American Empire. Because the American Empire was new at this time. It started right after the Spanish-American War in 1899, and suddenly America had colonies in places that you wouldn't think we would have colonies. Suddenly Guam belonged to the United States, this island way out in the middle of the Pacific. Suddenly we owned Puerto Rico. Uh, the Philippines, this massive group of islands right at the gateway to Asia, now belonged to the United States. And now we are suddenly like Britain or France. But the chances are, if you're an American, you haven't really stopped and thought about the fact that we are still an empire. You don't think about the idea that anyone born in Guam today is a U.S. citizen, and you know Puerto Rico is part of the United States today, but you never stop to think about why or whether it should be. This all begins right back at this time period when the American empire is just coming online. The truth is that establishing an empire wasn't just for bragging rights, and it wasn't because America was just confident in its destiny or anything like that. There was money attached. Having an empire comes with benefits. There's resources in these places that you can then extract and send to your home country. There's labor forces there that you can exploit. If you're a robber baron at this time, right at the end of the Gilded Age, when the progressives are gaining a foothold, now you have the opportunity to, far from anybody's viewpoint, uh, take over a foreign country, make it your colony, and then exploit it for the money that's there. So let me tell you a story about that. Right after we became an empire in 1899, a new company came on the stage called United Fruit. Now, you probably haven't heard of United Fruit. That's not their current name. But United Fruit started up uh, uh, banana plantations and fruit plantations and exporting fruit back to the United States. In countries like Costa Rica and Nicaragua, Colombia, Panama, and then some places in the Caribbean as well. And they were so good at growing this fruit using Central American land and Central American labor that they got pretty rich doing it. But what United Fruit was really good at it was just growing bananas, exporting them to the United States. And they did this a lot. In fact, they were so good at making sure the governments there were friendly and making sure that they didn't have any problems with their labor force or strikes or unions that these countries where they operated, like Costa Rica and Nicaragua, became known as banana republics. And yes, there's a store named Banana Republic, and yes, that's a nickname for a country without much of a democracy, and that's where that name comes from. Now, United Fruit had one competitor, the Standard Fruit Company in that time, and today Standard Fruit is known as Dole, and today United Fruit is known as Chiquita Brands International. So if you've ever had a Chiquita banana, that is a living legacy of the United States Empire in Central America. William McKinley was our first imperialist president. He helped establish the American Empire by fighting the Spanish-American War. Also, right after the Spanish-American War, he took one extra prize that didn't have anything to do with the war at all that you might be familiar with. He had America show up on the world scene in the middle of the Pacific, and used the United States military to depose the Queen of Hawaii. See if I can say this right. Queen Liliakalani. 
just showed up and forced her to abdicate and then just took the islands for our own. Now, I've been to Hawaii a bunch of times, and I utterly love the place, but it's conquered territory. The United States pretty much just showed up and took it, and then later on that becomes the 50th U.S. state. And everybody thinks of Hawaii as American, but there's a reason why it's in our orbit. This island chain out in the middle of the Pacific. Turns out that's a great place to park ships. Just ask the Japanese during Pearl Harbor. Along comes Teddy Roosevelt. Right after 1900, he takes over from McKinley when he's assassinated. And Teddy Roosevelt now starts to project American power around the world. We have these colonies. And so he increases the size of the Navy by 40%. Sends it around the world on this mission of, quote, peace. Painted all of his ships white. And then just sailed into ports of call all over the earth saying, this is the new American Navy. We just stopped by to say hi. His motto in foreign policy was speak softly and carry a big stick. He literally would say that out loud. Meaning project strength and then sometimes you won't have to fight to get what you want. You just use the fear of American power to make sure that you you get your foreign policy goals achieved. This was called the Great White Fleet. On top of that, it's Teddy Roosevelt who took over the Panama Canal Zone. He helped Panama to win independence from Colombia, and that got us access to the Canal Zone. Panama pretty much had to give it to us. And he seeks to do what the British and the French could not do. He seeks to build the Panama Canal. 33 miles long, 3 miles wide. This Panama Canal Zone is the the smallest width territory between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. And so he wants to build this canal so that America owns it, is able to project its navy now into two oceans, and also any country in the world that wants to use it needs to be friendly with us. So where everybody else had failed, American ingenuity and Teddy Roosevelt's aggressive action and also his, his money and his can-do attitude made sure that the Panama Canal was actually built and today is one of the most important waterways in the world. It was in the late 1990s that we finally gave the Panama Canal back to Panama itself and they've been running it without a hitch ever since. But up until that time, for the better part of 90 years, anybody who was born in that canal zone was an American citizen because that territory actually belonged to the U.S. And a famous American you might know that was born there was Senator John McCain, 2008 candidate for president. He was born in the canal zone, born an American, eligible to be president. It's hard sometimes to look at Teddy Roosevelt, the progressive, who did all these sort of visionary things with the environment and with worker rights and making things a little bit fairer and safer for Americans, at the same time as he was this aggressive imperialist who was making sure America could dominate foreign regions and foreign peoples. It's hard to bring those two things together sometimes. He just didn't look at the rest of the world the same way he looked at the United States. He is going to make sure that in the Philippines, we stayed in power and kept them as a colony. He knew that island chain was was very important for us. And the Filipinos didn't want us there. Once we kicked the Spanish out, they were really hoping for independence. And so they started an uprising, which lasted almost four years. And Teddy Roosevelt was determined not to let the island chain go. And so a war was fought in the Philippines that almost every American's forgot about, just called the Filipino Insurrection. And almost 100,000 Filipinos got killed during that time. 
this ugly, violent little colonial war to make sure that the Philippines stayed with the United States, which it did eventually. On top of that, here comes Roosevelt, and he proclaims something called the Roosevelt Corollary. Now, this is, this is pretty amazing to think about. He just came straight out and told the whole world, especially Europe, that the Caribbean Sea and everything that it touches is an American lake. He just claimed it. He just showed up and said, anything that happens here, it happens under our watch. Now, Britain and France, if you want to keep your colonies, great, no problem. But don't ever send military forces over here again like the Spanish did. If you do, we're going to consider it an act of war. If you have a problem with one of your colonies in the Caribbean, like Jamaica, for example, then you'll let us know and we'll take care of it and we'll send you a bill. But you don't send military forces to this half of the world. And you see America becoming more aggressive. Notice we didn't ask anybody in the Caribbean if they really wanted to be in our orbit. That's part of what being an empire was at this time, using your power for your own control and gain. Let's not forget that Puerto Rico that just suffered the hurricane a couple of years ago here and has really struggled in the last few years, that every single person that lives on that island is an American. And it's been that way since the early 1900s. So Puerto Rico, just they just petitioned us not too long ago to become the 51st state in the United States because everybody born there is an American and they've been American for more than a century at this point. If you want to travel to Puerto Rico, it's super easy. You don't need a passport because you're not leaving America. Just get out your driver's license, hop on a plane, fly straight into San Juan, Puerto Rico, and you can enjoy a vacation there because you're still in the United States. This time period is also the first time we see a U.S. president who shows up on the world stage as someone with influence. Before this, we had always been looked at kind of like the cowboy country where... Everything's still developing, and it's the Wild West, but the royal families and stuff didn't really think of us as much to, much to look at until now. And so Teddy Roosevelt does something no president has ever done. He negotiates a peace treaty between two countries. He just shows up as an arbitrator, just as a neutral party that wants both sides to stop fighting, and he negotiated an end to a war between Russia and Japan. Because of that... Teddy Roosevelt's going to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1906. So start thinking about all the things that he's done. He fights the war in the Philippines. He increases the size of the Navy and sends it all the way around the globe with the Great White Fleet. He proclaims the Caribbean ours and opens it up for American business. And he negotiates peace treaties in foreign countries. So in the first 10 years of the 1900s, America as an empire has arrived. This sets the stage for what would be, at the time, the most devastating world event that had ever happened, World War I, and we'll talk about that in another podcast. <laughs> 